tape me. Uh-oh. I got to be careful then. Good morning, Casco Bay Church. It's, it's, uh, it's great, great to be with you. Uh, I asked Jesse to move the mic over. He told me I was weak, but my voice is a little weak. And um, I, I've been in and out of sickness for a while. So uh, uh, usually I have a booming voice, but it's a little in and out uh, these days. And so it's, it's great to be here. I, I cannot tell you what a joy. Let me start, start my clock. I cannot tell you what a joy it is to be with you guys this morning. It really is. My name is Kevin Miller, and I could say that I'm a lot of different things, but one thing that I definitely am is best friends with Glenn and Danielle. I mean, uh, my wife and I, I mean, Melissa, since she was 15 years old, so that's nearly 25 years of friendship uh, with Danielle. And, and for me and Glenn, we've been uh, best friends for about 20 years. And, it, you know, they've been up here in the Casco Bay Church uh, doing this work. They came up here, I think, with nine people in the team in or out of that. And to see the church that exists right now, it's so inspiring to me. What you guys are doing. You know, I, I usually preach to about 300 plus people. And, and yet what you guys are doing, this is even more inspiring. Because you guys are building a church, a new church. Amen. You know, in a community that needs it. And you're doing it. And it's amazing. And, and to hear the stories and to hear about your faith, it inspires me. And to see, you know, it's funny. We went out to dinner last night. Uh, Glenn and Danielle and, and Melissa and I. And... Danielle was just smiling and she was sort of lighthearted. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's been a while since I've quite seen her that way. Yeah. You know, it's been a, a lot of years. Uh, it's been a difficult years for her uh, just dealing with Glenn, you know. And uh, no, no, uh, not, well, that too. But, but no, 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 it's, it's been a lot of difficult years. And, and, it, and it, made me, it made me grateful for, for really, you know, I know they're here kind of leading the church and ministering to you. But I know that you're also ministering and taking care of them. And it just made me very, very grateful for that. And, and I thank you for that. Of course, it's great to see others that I, that I know and that I'm close to. You know, Jesse and Lyann and Judah. Uh, I don't know Judah as well, but I know Jesse and Lyann very, very well. And uh, it's great to be here to see them as well. Uh, really is. We're going to try to go by and see their home uh, later and, and, and all that. But, you know, I, I bring your greetings from Boston. I lead the, the downtown region. So I lead a church of about 300 people, a little bit more than that, right downtown Boston. That's where we meet. And it's an exciting and wonderful place uh, to be. And, and so I bring you greetings from there. We're going to talk this morning about the great banquet. Nice. That's what we're talking about, the great banquet. And uh, so I think there's only two that maybe have heard me preach these things before, but, um, or four of you, and, well, Melissa too, so that's five. But, uh, so I apologize to those of you that there. But, you know, I was baptized. I became a Christian. If you're visiting and, and you're kind of checking this out for the first time, I remember walking through the doors of a church like this 20 years ago, 22 years ago. It was 22 years ago that I came walking through and, uh, my brother had just made the decision to become a Christian, and he and I were very, very wild. Uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of immorality, a lot of, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of bad stuff. And, uh, you know, throwing parties at the house and stealing my parents' car and getting in barroom brawls. I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up going to church like this, you know, and I wasn't, the idea that at, at 42 years old, I would be driving from Boston to Casco Bay, to Portland, to preach at my best friend's church was not really in the cards 
for me at 22 year, at 20 years old. That was not really how I envisioned my life going. But but I started studying the Bible on a Tuesday night, and the following Tuesday night I was baptized. And I, I'll get into some of those stories, but it was a very fast, you know, thing. I was kind of a borderline atheist when I sat down to study. I certainly didn't believe that the Bible was the Word of God or that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, I wasn't living anything like that out. But in, in from Tuesday to the following Tuesday, I came to great faith. We studied the Bible every night. It was the summertime. I was a college student. Um, and that Tuesday night, I got baptized. And I thought, wow, what did I just do? <laughs> 22 years later, it was easily the best decision I have ever made uh, you know, in my life. And I got baptized on June 6th of 95. Let that... That was the summer. In the fall, I was back at UMass Amherst, where I went to college. I was a history major, and I was in some political science class. And I remember, you know, our classes at UMass were like 300 people in the class. And then on Friday, you'd come and you'd be, you know, you'd be in a discussion group. And, and it was like that class broken down into like a group of 30. And one of the TAs would run this discussion. And I, I don't remember how we got there and what was going on. But we were, he broke us up into groups of like three in the class. So the three groups of like 10 people, 12 people in this class, in this discussion group. And we were supposed to discuss how to solve the problem of the violence in the world. Wow. That was what we were supposed to do. And, and that was kind of the big discussion that we had. And one group was given the, the assumption that human beings are just biologically predisposed to violence. And so how do we legislate it out of the world? And then the other group was supposed to take the assumption that we sort of are socialized to be violent. And how do we legislate violence out of the world? And then the third group was supposed to sort of assume that it's the leaders of our world that make us violent and lead us there. And how do we kill them all and, and deal with that? And not, not kill them all. But, and, and, I was, and I was in a discussion, and I don't remember even what... The, I don't really remember what the, the, the group's consensus was. But then we were going to... One person was chosen to present to the class, and I was chosen as my group's leader, spokesperson. And so I remember getting... And I, I have no idea what the group's consensus was, but I remember when it came... And I don't remember which one I was. But I just remember my answer was, I don't think that there's any way to legislate violence out of the world. That was my, I had been a Christian for about six months or what have you. And, and, and I remember the TA was shocked by it. He was a little, the professor was a little bit like, wait, what? And I was like, there's no way. Just human nature, there's no way you're ever going to get rid of the violence in the world. And I, and I remember saying that. And I remember the, the, him looking puzzled. And saying, so, that's a pretty hopeless perspective. And I said, well, whatever. You know, I, I, I said, that's my perspective. He said, so you just, you just throw your hands up in the air and say, there's nothing that can be done. And I remember at that moment, I said, so wait a minute. You're asking me what I do about it? You want to know what I personally do about this? And he said, yeah. You just throw your hands up in the air and throw it. I said, no, 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 I don't throw my hands up in the air. I said, I invite people to my church. And, and then that even got more controversial in the class. He went, you invite people to your church? And I said, yes. I said, you know, I'm part of a church. 
And I've only been part of it for a, for a little while now, a couple, couple weeks, a couple months at that point. But I said, I've seen uh, broken families come together because of, of the Bible and because of the church. And, and I, you know, I've seen diversity in a way that I've never seen anywhere else in my church. And, and I said, I've seen, I said, I myself was a violent person. And I've seen others in, in, in my church, people come because of what they get to see and because of what they get to learn. You know, I've seen uh, college men respecting college women in my church. I've seen uh, women with conviction and confidence in my church. You know, I've seen drunks and drug addicts getting well. I've seen people with hope, people changing. I said all this. People learning to be people of love. People willing to sacrifice for a cause that really means something to, the, uh, to them. I said all this. And, and now, now the whole class was just, who's the weirdo? You know what I mean? It was just, and, and, but the professor didn't say anything, but I remember there was a girl in the class, and she was a Wiccan. Do you know what that is? Yes. It was like witches, you know, kind of for the earth kind of thing. And I remember she was offended, and she said, well, Christianity is not the only thing that helps people. My, I'm wicked, and I think my religion helps people too. And I said, that's great. I said, do you invite people to it? And she said, no. And I said, well, why wouldn't you if it's really helping people? You know, Luke chapter 14. On, Luke chapter 14 in verse 15. It says, I'll let you turn there. Okay. Luke 14, verse 15. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell, to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Some of us in here might say, I just had a baby. There's a lot of babies in here. It's awesome. It's, a lot, it's awesome. A lot of babies. It's good. Um, verse 21, the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out and, and go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Point number one, it's a great banquet. It's a great banquet. You know, this first half of this parable it's encouraging. It's all about the heart of God. And the heart of God, when he looks out on humanity, is I've got this great thing and I want to give it to you. And it's not 
okay. It's not Momo. It's a great banquet. And, and I want to give it and I want to invite you all to it. And it's not some haphazard, last-minute, no-thought date. This thing has been prepared for you, and God is looking to invite you. And it's great. It's a good time. I mean, it's a feast. It's a party. That's what Christianity is supposed to be. You ever think you know someone only to find out that they were someone else? You ever have expectations that you thought were, this is how it is? And then it just gets turned on its head completely. Yeah. You know, I remember it's about 10 years ago, we were at a conference. Me and Glenn were at a conference. And we used to lead the, our, the church that we were in, and we led it together. We led the campus ministry together for a long, long time. And I remember we were at a conference about 10 years ago, and we were planning stuff. It was this big conference. You know, a couple thousand people all in New England were there. And it was the Saturday morning of it, I think. And I had to get a hold of him to talk about something that we were doing at this conference. And then, so I called the hotel that he was staying in. It was like it was in Worcester. And I said, can you put me through to Glenn Petruzzi's room? And he said, yeah. And so they clicked me through. Now, Glenn, before he led the Casco Bay Church and before he was with me in, in Boston, he led the Albanian church out in the armpit of Europe. That's really what that is. That's how they describe it. And in Albania... In Albania, they would not call Glenn Glenn. They would call him Glenny. Glenny. You know, and so, so we, I had heard this. And so it was probably 8 in the morning, and I'm calling his hotel room. And, and it picks up. You're pet me through to Glenn Petruzzi's room. And I used to do this. When I'm, and I'm kind of a buffoon sometimes, so I, I'll just act stupid. And they pass me through his room, and I go, you know, phone picks up. Hello. I go, Glenny, you know, at 8 in the morning. And he goes, uh, yeah, this is Glenn. And I go, Glenn, Glenny. And he goes, yes, uh, yes, this is Glenn. And I do it one more time. It doesn't seem like he was getting it. I was like, what's the matter with Glenn? He usually likes when I do this. And I go, Glenny, you know, I'm yelling at the top of my voice. And he goes, yeah, this is Glenn. Now, now. Now, Glenn's father's name is also Glenn Petruzzi. And Glenn Sr., who I know, was getting baptized that day at this particular conference. We were going to all be going to this baptism on that particular day. And so it occurs to me after the third time, I went, this doesn't really sound like the Glenn I know. And it occurs to me, oh, his dad is at this conference too. And I said... Is this Glenn Sr.? And he went, uh, yeah. And I went, oh, this is Kevin. And, and he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of stupid. You know, I, I thought, I thought it was one person, but it was really somebody else. You know, for most folks, when it comes to Christianity these days, the idea of it being a great banquet, it's, it's not that for people. You know, it, it's, how do people think about Jesus in religion today? You know, for most of my young life, and I grew up going to church, but it was a chore. That's what it was. It was a chore. Uh, I got to go to church. You know, my mother would make me and my brother go to church if we missed because of sports or something like that. And on those Sundays, 
the other folks at church were not fired up that we weren't with our parents. You know, we were totally disruptive, but I, I hated it. I, you know, we, we'd goof off the whole time. As, as I grew older, it started to become less a chore and more sort of fake. Like this whole Jesus thing. Like what? Because I know the people that were going to church with me, and I knew that I was going to church, and I know my I mean, we would go to Easter Mass, and then the whole family would go to brunch, like all my uncles and aunts. And I would be one of, me or my brother, one of us would get to sit on my uncle's lap and steer the car while we drove to, to church. That's what we used to do. The other one of us would get to sit in the backseat of his car and look at all the Playboy magazines that were back there. You know, and that was after church. going, And that was totally normative behavior where I grew up. And the idea that, oh, we're supposed to be different or anything. So it just ended up looking fake to me. You know, I remember my brother, as, as we got along, he wanted to be a priest. My brother, my older brother, who was wilder than I ever was. And he wanted to be a priest. And I remember I was an atheist. And I remember telling him, you know, I don't even know if I believe in God or Jesus. But isn't the whole idea of that to like be like Jesus? And I was like, and you're nothing like Jesus. You know, I, neither am I, but I don't want to be a priest, you know. You know, at, at other times, it, Christianity was just strange. Like, have you ever seen the old Jesus of Nazareth movie? You know, that would play on Easter. And, and it was kind of like, I'm studying the Bible with a guy. Well, it, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus talks in old Shakespearean English from the King James Version of the Bible. So it's like, you know, though and thou, John. And then he floats, you know, and then it's like, and I would watch that as a kid and be like, is that what it's like to be a, I'm studying the Bible with a guy on Friday night and he's, he's, I think he's, you know, he's seeking God, him and his wife, and, but he's still swearing even through the whole Bible study. And we laugh at him. We go, oh, you're swearing still, you know, oh, is that wrong? That's not really a big swear I just said. It's, yeah, it's okay. We'll get there. You know, we're getting there. But. But he was reading. I said, so you've been reading? He said, yeah. I said, and what, do you, what are your impressions? He goes, man, Jesus is a, he went, a bad bleep. You know, he was like, that's what he said. And I said, yeah, he kind of was. You know, he, he is. He was bad to the bone. He was, he was kind of a revolutionary. But that wasn't the picture of Jesus that I had in my mind. He was just kind of weird. You know, mysterious. You know, I, I thought the Bible was all poetry. You know, when I sat down to study the Bible with Christians, I that's why I think I made so much progress so fast, because I just thought it was all poetry. That you couldn't actually discern real, concrete truth from this book. And they started showing me stuff, and I thought, whoa, this is amazing. Jesus says that there's this great banquet, and it's been prepared, it's been being prepared for a long time. You know, this banquet has been being prepared since the beginning of time for you. Yes. This banquet is being prepared by the one who created you. And he knows what you need. This banquet, when you read the Old Testament, this banquet's been being predicted. The coming of this banquet has been being predicted for thousands of years. This thing has been prepared for you. Miracles have occurred and are still occurring that you could be invited to this banquet. Wars have been waged. This banquet has endured so much. 
that you could find it. Jesus was born and died that this particular party could take place. This banquet, I don't know where you're coming from in your Christian background, whether you consider yourself or whatever church background, but I assure you this banquet does not stink. Yeah. It does not stink. You know, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. You with me here? Yeah. You're with me, I'm with you, my voice may not be with you for much longer. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 10. Chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. So it's talking about these Old Testament prophets that were talking about the salvation that Jesus came to bring. Now salvation, that's a Bible word. That's not a word you talk about in normal. What is salvation? Salvation is the idea of being saved. There is a place that you can go to get saved. But you have to go there to get saved. It's not just getting saved. There's a place that exists that gives salvation to people. You know, I remember when I was in Glenn's wedding. You know, I was at his wedding, my other best friend, Chris Zillman. When I was in Chris Zillman's wedding, when you're a groomsman, you get a groomsman gift. Chris Zillman gave me an astronaut pen. You know, you can write upside down and it writes in water. And I still have it. Glenn gave me a money clip, you know, typical Paisano gift, you know what I mean, an Italian gift, he, I don't know where the money clip is, I have to admit, I, I may not have it still, but, but you know, you get a gift when you come to certain parties, when you come to this party, you get saved, that's what you get, you get saved, now, saved is an interesting thing, when I was growing up, I remember being afraid of getting drafted into war, I remember as a kid being afraid of being drafted into war because I thought, what if I die and go to hell? Wow. As a kid, yeah, exactly. You know, you guys remember when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa yes. broke the home run record? Yes. I think it was 1998. Yes. 1998. I just graduated college. I was, what's that? September. September of 98. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, now it's like lives in infamy because they were so juiced up on steroids, you know, that they, they were so breaking the rules. But back then, it was the most fun thing. And I was a campus minister, and we would have a Bible discussion, and then we would go to the arcade with all the kids that came to the Bible discussion at, at CCSU. That was when I was down with, with uh, Danielle and Melissa. I was the campus minister. They were still students. But, um, and we would go, and we would watch on the TV as they were just crushing home runs. And I remember it so much. And I remember one time Mark McGuire was being interviewed after he broke the record. And I remember he was talking about that he couldn't wait to get to heaven. To, talk, to compare notes with Babe Ruth. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, they talked about it like, like heaven was this sports center in the sky. 
that all great athletes go. And they get to talk about, and, I, and I'm sitting there going, Babe Ruth was a total immoral man. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not here to judge anybody that I don't know, but I know what the Bible says, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't a Christian, you know, regardless of what he said. But, but it's almost like in our world. Oh, if you're, you know, if, you were, if you're not an axe murderer, yeah, you go to heaven. You're a good guy. You know, you're pretty good, whatever that means. You know, and good, good usually means I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. And that person is always someone that we know is a little worse than us. You, gotta, you don't pick someone nicer. You go, uh, that person. You know, and you kind of go, I'm feeling pretty good. Now, sometimes we're honest with ourselves and we're there. But I remember that's kind of, you know, you remember, remember uh, P. Diddy and, uh, and Biggie Smalls? I'm dating the young ones. But, you know, you know Puff Daddy. You know, and, and P. Diddy and, and, and Biggie was killed, if you remember. And then Puff Daddy wrote the song. You know, it's kind of hard with you not around. No, you in heaven, smiling down, watching us while we pray for you. Every day, we pray for you. Till the day we meet again, in my heart is where I'll keep you, friend. And it's the kind of thing goes on. And I don't, hey, God, let God be the judge. But he was killed in like a gang violent drug. I mean, the guy was, they put a movie out about his life a few years back. I didn't watch it because I thought, I'm not supposed to be watching movies like that. <laughs> He was not living like the way uh, Jesus was living. But, you know, after people die, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're all in heaven. No, there's a banquet that exists that comes to give that to you. But if you don't go to it, you don't get it. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how bad you are. You know, God is giving out forgiveness. He's giving out joy and peace. He's given out purpose and strength and dreams and vision for your life. He's given out friendship and partnership to those who would turn to him to get them camaraderie and connection. There's a great banquet that's been prepared for everyone. It just requires you accepting the invitation to the banquet. But it's a great banquet. You know, if you're a young person and you're figuring out, I hope my son... Falls you know, Glenn and, and I sat down with our two oldest sons, had a little quiet time this morning. You know, my son's name is Caleb. His son is Joshua. So we, we had a quiet time on Joshua and Caleb this morning. And it was an awesome time together with those guys. But I, I hope that they learn to fall in love with Jesus the way that we did so that they can accept that invitation. Because even they, the sons of ministers, they're not just born with a, with a birthright. Right. To the banquet. Amen. You've got to accept the invitation. It brings me to my second point, my last point, which is the great or not so great excuses. Mm. The great or not so great excuses. You ever make an excuse to not attend something? Yes. You know, growing up, growing up, you know, whenever we, the Jehovah's Witnesses would come to the door, you know, I don't know, maybe you didn't do that. My mother would be like, duck, hide behind the couches, you know. Now, when I got a little older, I studied the Bible with them, uh, you know, when I was searching and trying to figure things out. I was like, yeah, come on in and help me. They're very kind, the people that I was talking to. But, but growing up, you just, you know, it was one of those things. You try to get away. You know, I remember, I remember my brother and I one time were, we, we, my older brother, he was a big football star. We used to lift and we were gym rats, you know, not basketball, but, but lifting and all that kind of stuff. And I remember one night, 
it was probably 10 p.m. The gym was nearly closed. And me and my brother, him especially, I'm the quiet one in my family. And he is, you know, he's like a 250-pound, played football at UNH. And, uh, you know, he's like in the mirror, you know, lifting, doing traps. And, you know, every time, ah, ah, you know, doing this. So, and we're the only ones left in the gym. And it's like 10 p.m. And, and so they're closing up shop. So we're now walking out of the, uh, out of the gym, the, 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 the club that we had, were a part of. And, we, you know, you, if you're a heavy lifter, you wore the big lifting belts. And I had one of these lifting belts because we were lifting. So we're walking out. He's like right in front of me. Now he's much bigger. He's about six foot one. And back then he was 250. And I was probably 170 pounds. And he's my older brother. And he used to beat the tar out of me. I mean, he broke my nose one time. And so we're walking out the door. Now we're best friends. But we're walking out the door, and I take my weightlifting belt and just slap him as hard as I can right on the back of his legs. So it hits him, you know, and he's like, oh, you're dead, you know. And, and so we're walking out of the gym, but I'm now like 10, 20 yards behind him as he's going out, and I'm just going as he's going. So he walks out, two sets of twin glass double doors to exit this place. Goes through one of them. I see as he, as he exits the first one, he reaches down and picks up the wooden doorstop. Then he walks out of the other one and walks out to the van that we drove. We drove this big, huge red cube van. And um, we, were, we, were, we, were, we were troubled. But um, so he walks out right in front and just stands by the van as, you know, waiting for me to walk out the door. It was about 10, 20 yards. So I see him and I just poke my head out of the door and go, don't throw the doorstop. You're going to miss and you're going to smash the doors. And he's just like... Whatever, you know. So then I go, so I step out. I go, okay, here I am. And I step out the door and I go, take your best shot. And he goes, Foof, hits the glass, smash the door. We go, oh. we jump in our van and we are hightailing it out of this gym. We make it about, you know, we're like two minutes away. We're, you know, away from the gym. And I go, we're like the only ones in the gym. And even if we weren't, they would know it was us, you know, and so I go, we should turn around. So he turns around. By the time we get back to the gym, the cops are there and, and we walk in and we go, you know, they go, what happened? And, and I don't, I don't, we didn't discuss what we were going to say, but he starts speaking. He was the older brother and he's the one who did it. So I, I wasn't saying much. So we're sitting there talking to the cops and I just think he's just saying, oh, we're idiots, you know, but he goes, you know, I was walking out the door and there was a kink in the rug. And I tripped on it and put my head through the window. And I looked up at him. You know, he has no scratches, no nothing. You know, there's nothing on his face. And they're like, you put your head through the window. He's like, yeah, that's what happened. You know, so, you know, I don't think they ever made him pay. They, they actually, the way he paid was they took a picture of him working out and used it as an advertisement for, uh, for the gym. And that was payment. So we got out of that one. But, you know... Excuses. So this banquet preparer tells everyone that the party's coming. Everyone goes, great. What a nice thing. The feast is finally ready, and he sends out word, it's time. It's time. And one by one, everybody begins to make excuses. And that's the way the Bible describes what's said. Excuses. You know, Jesus knew what all these things were. They were excuses. You know, what's the worst thing that happens from lying our way out of responsibility for broken glass? 
embarrassment, a funny story 25 years later? What's the consequence of making excuses about the great banquet? You know, verse 21 again says, The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What your order has been done, but there's still room. The master told the servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. It says that the master of the house was angry. It's funny, that's not really in our, in our, in our evolving postmodern world. Yeah. Our New England world of relativism and non-judgmentalism, right? You know, nobody judges anything except those who make a judgment on something. That's the only people that get judged in our society. Yeah. Oh, you do this? Oh, you do that? Oh, great. You know, as long as you believe it, the only person that's going to say, go great, is someone that stands up and goes, no, God's not happy with that. Who are you to say that God's not happy with that? Well, I'm not anybody to say, but the Bible says that God's not happy with that. Not the way I read it. You know, well, what are you talking about? You know, it says, you know, but God right here, he's angry. It says, does it? It says he's angry. Anger is an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, my daughter is 15 years old. When she was probably 10 years ago, when we lived, we lived in another town, and I used to take her out on dates. You know, we'd go, and I, I still take her on dates, but, but, um, but we would go to Dunkin' Donuts and read a book and get a hot chocolate. And, and it was this time of year, maybe February, 10-something years ago, and we're driving out of our house, and we go to the Dunkin' Donuts mm-hmm. and do this thing, and then we're coming back. Maybe we were going there, and there was a little cul-de-sac, a little circle that you kind of had to, a rotary that you had to go around right near our neighborhood. You go around on the way out. And as we're going around it, like an ice ball comes flying out the window that my daughter was sitting by. It was no big deal. It, it went against the, the window, and it was just a snowball. But we're driving, and you know, it, it freaked me out kind of. And all at once, I, I, I hit the brakes and see out of my rearview mirror two little 12-year-old boys sprinting out from behind the car who were hiding behind the bushes, chucking snowballs at cars. Now, I'll have you know that when I was a kid, I used to throw rocks into traffic. So I'm not above any of this, but I'm just saying now I'm a grown man, and, and I got a little girl, and, and I see out of my rear mirror, poof, these two little boys. And all in about 0.5 seconds, I'm in, you know, brakes hit, in park, out of the car, <laughs> shouting at these little boys to stop. I mean... You better stop right there. And I start yelling. And these boys, once I start yelling, now they probably could outrun me, but they, they, boom, they came to attention, like, immediately. And they just stood there, and I kind of walked up at them. You should not be throwing snowballs at moving traffic. You're going to get somebody in a car accident. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, I'm doing it just like that. And they're like, yes, sir. We're sorry. And I went, it's okay. I used to do it too. You can go. And they were like, you know, they got out of there. You know, I feel like it's the right. And, you know, it's necessary that 40-year-old men in our society need to yell at 12-year-old children full of folly. It's one of the things that, that, that's important, you know, to, to society. But, um, but anyway. But anger. You know, my anger right there, it did something. You know, it, it got their attention. 
It got their attention. They went, boom. This is serious. You know, if you throw a party, it's funny, at my wedding, uh, you know, before I walked down the aisle at my wedding, you know, and, and uh, you know, to Rocky music. And, uh, and before, the, before it was time, you know, I had been, you're getting ready and you're with the groomsmen and the whole thing. And you kind of wonder, I wonder if anybody showed up at the wedding. So you kind of peek out, you know, through the window before it was time to walk in. And there were people there and I was grateful. <laughs> if, there, if there hadn't been anybody there but my mom and dad, you know, her mom and dad, you'd, you'd kind of feel a little discouraged, you know, like, oh, whatever. But I'm getting married, so it's all good. That's kind of how you'd feel if nobody attends your party. You don't really feel angry. But in this particular banquet, he's angry, right? When no one shows up to God's banquet, he's not hurt or mopey. He's angry. You know, there's a passage, you can write it down, it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, that says a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day to God. Yeah. You know, God created time. He's not bound by it. He, he created it. And so a thousand years are like a day. It's, it's figurative language, you know, but, but a thousand years are like a day, and a, and a day is like a thousand years to God. He, you know, it doesn't matter to him. He's timeless. He's the alpha and the omega. But how many years ago did Jesus die, human years, by our count? About 2,000 years ago. But if a day is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day, about how long ago was that to God? Two days ago. So if, if your son was murdered two days ago, would you be over it by now? Would you just be, you'd be good? be healed and whatever, you know, whatever happens there, you wouldn't. This banquet was thrown by the death of God's son. And God goes, there are no excuses. I mean, some of those excuses, hey, I just got married. Oh, that's a pretty good excuse. But it's funny, God here is going, not, not to not attend this banquet. You got to attend this one, he says, you know, in verse 21, he says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. It's funny. God at that moment doesn't go on a propaganda, you know, campaign to try to convince all the people that said no. He doesn't. You know, there are passages in the Bible where people leave Jesus. They were following Jesus, and then they decide to leave Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, no, no, don't, don't leave me. You misunderstood what I said. No, actually, in the passage in John chapter 6, he turns to the guys who haven't left and says, you want to leave too? Whoa. And they go, no, 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 we're here. <laughs> we're fired up. But even in this passage, Jesus doesn't go on some, prop the guy doesn't go on some propaganda campaign to go, no, 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 come on in. He actually says, no, 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 go to the crippled, you know, the poor, the blind, and the lame. Well, what's, what's common about the crippled, the poor, and the blind, and the lame? They're hungry. They're humble. You know, they're in a humble situation. You know, it's funny in our world, 21st century New England, you know, you got microwaves, air conditioners, heaters. You know, it's what Brandon said. It's cold in your house. This is how you fix it. Boop, 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 boop. And now it's hot again. You know, now it gets warmer. You, know, you got to make a fire. You know, you don't got to build a shelter. You know, we got hospitals and medicine and cars and airplanes. You know, you, get, you can get into an airplane and get wherever you want to go. I was, 
You travel 30 hours and you're in China. Went last year. It's amazing. But, you know, part of all of that, it creates this sense, even in us Christians, that we're all set. You know, we don't really have needs. And it kind of dulls us to what's really going on. What's, what you see, that's not what's really going on. You know, you read, you read about Abraham Lincoln or somebody like that. You know, I was a history major. I love reading biographies. And you read about people that only lived 100 years ago. 150 years ago. I mean, death in childbirth was like as common as it. I mean, death all over the place. And you go, oh, what a terrible world. But a world like that, it, and that's how the world has always been. It's only these last 100 years where we're in this technological experiment that's dulling us out a little bit to the spiritual realities that a lot of people have always been more tuned into. Are you tuned in this morning? How humble are you about spiritual things? You know, it's funny. Those of us that grew up in the church or are growing up in the church, you know, for people like me, I grew up in a family that was a hot mess. You know, I ended up baptized. I became a Christian 22 years ago. 19 years ago, I baptized my mom and dad. Amen. You know, me and my brother did. And, uh, you know, we, we baptized my parents. But we grew up in a, in a messed up place. They loved us. They were sincere. But they didn't have a lick of a clue about the Bible. And, and, and so it was, it was tough. And the, growing up in that, you develop a hunger, potentially, for... But sometimes if you grow up with a loving family, and that's what God wants, and a functional family, and that's what God wants, and a family that's, that's got the Bible, that's what God wants, but it can sometimes dull us to thinking, oh, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 you're not good even if you are in a family like that, Amen. unless you accept the invitation as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find the great banquet without humility and love. Yeah. You're not going to find the great banquet without looking into it. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find... The great banquet without some serious effort. That's what God wants. You know, I'll close out by saying this. You know, it's been it's been 22 years since I took the jump to become a Christian. 22 years. Is my life uh, without problems? Uh, No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not without problems. Uh, Do I struggle with my own sins? I do. I struggle with my own sins, you know, even all these years later. I don't sin the way that I used to, but I still struggle with my sin. Sometimes I get in a fight with my wife. Sometimes I do, you know. It's her fault most of the time, but, um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's never her fault, ever. Even ask Emma. All the children only side with my wife. My own parents only side with my wife. Nobody ever sides with me, you know, but... Um, Glenn will side with me when I call him, but, and if, but if he's ever asked by her, then he sides with her. You know, it's, uh, but do we fight? Yeah, we fight. Is parenting simple? No, no, it's not. It's not simple. Do I worry about my kids, struggle to lead them well, to be close to them, to build their characters? Only every second of my life do I struggle with it. Do I always feel close to God the way I want to? Am I a model of consistency every day with my quiet times or with prayer? No, I'm not always. I'm not. I wish I was. I wish I was. But, you know, and I feel bad about that. And maybe you relate to that. Maybe you don't. I bet you do. You know, about, 
about five years ago, we moved from this town that we were living in, in Wilmington. We lived in kind of a housing, um, it, wasn't a, it was sort of a housing project, you know, it was kind of a, for first time home buyers kind of a thing. It wasn't for the well-to-do, it was for people that were buying homes for the first time, all these townhouses, like a townhouse community kind of a thing. And we lived in this, it was in Wilmington. And it's funny we lived there, and our kids were born there, and, and that's where Jesse, Jesse and, and, uh, and, and Lyon had been there a million times. We'd have all our staff meetings and intern meetings there. But, but my neighbor that was connected to the house that I was a part of, they, they, uh, the, the husband was kicked out for being a drunk. The, I remember the mom and the daughter would scream at each other. In the, you know, you'd hear it. The son was dealing pot out of his driveway. I remember a detective one time coming by the house while I was out there asking me questions. And I was like, I kind of want to move out of this neighborhood, you know. And, you know, across the street, across the street, the ex-husband of the wife was living in the wife's basement. And the wife was remarried. And this guy was the most miserable human being. I remember you drive into the neighborhood, have to hit the stop sign. He was like the stop sign cop. He wasn't a cop, but he would sit there, you know. He was always making sure. I mean, it was just not... An awesome, it was just a lot of stuff going on there. And I remember that, you know, it's about four years ago when we took over the downtown region, we had to move closer to the city. So we moved to another neighborhood and the neighborhood we're in now is a little bit more people with means, you know, the particular spot we live in, we're surrounded by some people that, you know, they've got some nice homes and it's kind of that way. It's funny, two nights ago, two nights ago, we got a knock on our door at 9.30 PM and it was by a woman who was in tears and asking us to come next door to our neighbor, who we know well, to console, um, well, I want to be careful how I say this, um, actually, so let, me, let me rethink how I say this with the audience I've got, but, but it's basically, you know, a good friend of my neighbor died. But it was a good friend, not in the way, she had just separated from her husband a month earlier. This, this neighbor separated from her husband, and the, uh, the night the husband had to move out, I went and got with him to say, hey, you okay, and do you want to study the Bible, and, you know, you, can your marriage get helped? And he, you know, he, he kind of did, but he kind of didn't. He said, I'm not sure. No, and the wife, who we know well, um, that was, the, it was about a month ago. This guy passed away, this other guy, you know, who had been living in the home. For about a month, and he died of an overdose. She had met him at an AA meeting, and it's a hot mess. And I, I don't want to go into all the details, but you can understand sort of what I'm saying. You know, my life is not—it's not, it's not uh, perfect. It's not. My life—I've got challenges. Yeah. Christians have challenges. Yeah. We do. But there's such a difference yeah. between the challenges that are out there. And the challenges that you're going to face if you accept an invitation to the great banquet. I urge you as we close out. You know, there's two kinds of people in this room. People that have already accepted the invitation and and people that are thinking about it or hearing about it for the first time. If you accepted the invitation to the great banquet, sometimes it's easy to forget that it's great. Can I get an amen? amen? It is because there's a lot of problems that go on. You know, it's amazing to hear about all of the conversions that have taken place in Portland over the last eight years. But if you add up all the conversions that have taken place 
in Portland over the last eight years, you kind of feel like, oh, the church should be a little bigger. Right. You've got to stay. You've got to accept the invitation and hold on, kind of what Melissa was talking about. You know, it's not at all easy, but we've got to stay grateful for what we've been given. Can I get an amen? amen. If you're among the crowd that's just hearing about the great banquet and thinking about it, Man, I encourage you as someone that had to accept this invitation 22 years ago, you will not regret it. It's the greatest decision you could ever make, and it'll change your life for the positive forever. It's been great being with you. Amen.